So I want to talk a little bit again about uh, our words, because I feel like uh, last week we jumped into something that was, uh, there were a lot of uh, like appetizers, teasers. Uh, you know, when you come into a sermon, you got to compact a lot of stuff into that sermon so that there's relevance. And, and what we were saying kind of threw out as we introduced the sermon last week, which I spent a lot of time on this week. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but that when we get born of the Spirit, it's our Spirit that's born. Okay, so John 3, 3 through 5, we get born of the Spirit, we come to the Lord, we make a decision to follow the Lord, we get married to Jesus, but there's a divorce that needs to take place as well. So we got a marriage and a divorce because you were married to Satan. Like it or not, it's the truth. And uh, so you were married to the demonic realm, or another passage would say, that the spirit of disobedience was working in you, not upon you, wasn't just setting on your shoulder, it was quickening you from the inside. Uh, or John eight forty four, your father was the devil. This is what Jesus says. So he's very, you know, the Lord and the Word is pretty confrontive about this. And so it's not just coming to Jesus, it's also getting a divorce. And, and I don't know if we're very good at getting divorces. So that, that's why I, I kind of bring that up. And we... we you know, we kind of minister over that a little bit because it's important to know that we can't really become who we're meant to become and who we are now in the new creation if we don't, uh, if we don't really follow through with this divorce real well. Now, a lot, of us, we, uh, a lot of us, we move out and we move in with Jesus, but, but, and we, and so we got separation, but we don't have divorce. A lot, a lot of us get maybe a little bit of a legal separation, but we're still kind of, you know, just kind of hanging out, checking out. Some of us have restraining orders going on, but we still, we're breaking the restraining orders and we're still, you know, inviting Mr. Unclean to come over and hang out at the house a little bit, meet up with Mr. Unclean at certain locations, or just kind of, you know, you hear what I'm talking about. So we're not, now, and so the way the Bible defines the divorce process is uh, we bring that uh, unclean, that unregenerate, that carnal, that, that fleshy, that sinful nature self of ours, we bring it to the cross, and therein we declare it crucified. And so the cross is the, the symbol, the implement, the sign, uh, and it becomes the power of the divorce, is that we are dead in the cross of Jesus to uh, who we were, and we, we are now embracing a resurrected life. And, of course, that's what water baptism is all about. Water baptism is interrelated to the cross. Uh, what you do with dead people is you bury them, right? So that's what we do with you in the waters of baptism is we bury you, and then when you come out of the waters of baptism, you come out in resurrected life. It's not just symbolic. It's actually real. There's actually a legal thing happening in the spirit realm when, when you do all that. But then thirdly, thirdly, the enemies had uh, some interaction with us and some relational uh, connection with us uh, in our pre-conversion world. So not only do we need to uh, issue the legal divorce, but then we need to, uh, as it were, kick the enemy out. And this is the third part of us emerging into that 
restored and that transformed person God's ordained for us to be, the third part of that, and that's deliverance ministry. So now we're separating ourselves from everything unclean, and wherever there's been kind of a connection or a link, we realize it wasn't just mental, it wasn't just thinking, we realized there, were, there was spiritual power involved there. There was a spiritual connection there. And so uh, we're, we're taking, a, a, we're taking uh, in this particular divorce, we're taking a pretty ornery stance here. We really don't want to have fellowship anymore with the demonic realm. Last week, we, uh, I, I jumped into, uh, and the, the title of the sermon series is Break Your Chains. Uh, the subtitle today, Curses Aren't Real. Uh, I, I jumped into the power of words. And, and yes, when we think about, and, and I, I, I brought up the, the term witchcraft, when we think about witchcraft, uh, witchcraft is kind of, uh, it's almost like uh, five-fold ministry in the demonic realm. So everything God's got, Satan's got, like an opposite thereof. So witchcraft is the craft of a witch. Uh, it could involve divination. It could involve necromancy, right, T- talking to the dead. It could involve uh, uh, pharmakia. There, there's a whole bunch of categories wherein uh, essentially this is a pastor for the demonic. A witch is a pastor for the demonic realm. And in their, uh, in their bailiwick, in their tool belt, in their... In, in their uh, 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 methodology of ministry, there's several things. Um, One of those things that we know is curses. So this is just one. One of the, we're not going to get into the other things, uh, though the uh, Restored Life Conference is this coming week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. So we do invite you to be a part of that, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. But but we're not going to get into all of the other stuff. But what I wanted to touch on Last week, I felt the Holy Spirit was putting His heart, His hand, His, his quickening on this, is this realm of cursing. Uh, because uh, common to witchcraft is cursing. And uh, crazy enough, common to your unregenerate life was cursing. Now, uh, now again, this is this is this is one of the many uh, facets of witchcraft. This is not this is not potions. Uh, this is not pharmakia. Uh, this is not talking to the dead. Uh, this is not uh, so. Th- but this is a very relevant. And the reason it's relevant is because words are spirit. Words are spirit. Now, Jesus said something about his words in John 6, 63. He was talking to an audience that understood words are spirit. And so he said, my words are spirit and life. But, but all words are spirit. This is how God created. How did God create? Hebrews chapter 1. God created. He made all things visible out of that which is invisible his word. His word. His word. Now, it can be written down, but even at this moment as you're listening, you're listening to spiritual lingo, and it's invisible. 
but you're actually perceiving something, and the Holy Spirit is bear, bearing witness to the word with, uh, of truth with uh, a, a yes in your inner man right now. Words are spirit. First Peter 1.23 says that we have been born again of His Word, which is imperishable seed. Incorruptible seed. So that's interesting. Words are also throughout the Bible. We find words are spirit, but we also find that words are seeds. Well, we know what seeds do. I mean, there's a reason that it's likened the word, any word is likened to seeds. There's a, there's a reason Luke 8, 11 says the same thing, uh, that, that the seed that lands on your heart right now as we're talking, the seed is the Word of God. Well, that tells us a lot about words as well. Now, in 1 Peter 1, 23, he says, you're born again of incorruptible seed, but again, that's juxtaposed against corruptible seed. There is corruptible seed. There is corruptible seed. There's incorruptible and there's corruptible. And as we come to the Lord and we become bearers of light and we become those that are delivered out of darkness, part of, what the, part of our transition, born of the Spirit, dead to the old, delivered from the demonic, Part of our transition is to be transformed in the way we talk. Transformed in the way we talk. Transformed in the way we process life with this instrument, the mouth and the tongue. The tongue is, by the way, your tongue is the most powerful part of your whole being. Your earth suit being, your, your tongue. Because it's out of your tongue, you actually form and express spiritual things. Spiritual things are actually formed and expressed with your tongue to reach into the future. Because seeds always reach into the future. Seeds always create your coming reality. Seeds always create your coming reality. Fact is, you know, talking about the Word of God, which is seed, in Isaiah 55, 11, it says, So is my Word that goes forth from my mouth, for I send it out to accomplish what it is I desire. And it will not fail in its assignment. Now, this is God talking about His Word. But this is interesting. All of us, conscious or subconsciously are sending words forth to accomplish what we desire. Now, unfortunately, we've all been injured by words, and uh, the reason I bring, you know, one of the reasons I brought this up in the first place is because we've actually been injured, altered, hindered, harmed, limited, opposed troubled by words more than we know, much more than we know. There's things happening with you right now that you might not understand and you haven't been able to understand and you haven't been able to figure out that could be the result 
of words that have been spoken over you and against you from the moment you were conceived, nine months before birth, from the moment you were conceived, things were beginning to be declared over you that very moment. And those words had spiritual power to reach into, even today, your present tense realities unless they've been confronted and overthrown in the cross. And if we don't believe this realm exists, then we never turn and confront this realm. We never get a good divorce. We never confront the demonic realm. There were things said over you, and I, I, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know what it was, but I know a little covenant-keeping thing that we had going on was uh, every time uh, something, you know, popped up uh, in Mrs. Wolf, conceived, child, pregnancy test, whoop, oh, we got one coming. Happened a few times at the Wolf House. Uh, you know, we, from that moment on, we wanted a loved, cared for, plenty of space, plenty of room. There's wealth for this one. There's blessing for this one. We wanted to make sure, we wanted to make sure what was being spoken. But you know what? For a lot of us in this room, that isn't how it happened. Oh, this one's not going to fit. Oh, the, oh, our quiver was already full. Oh, Oh, this is a big mistake. Oh, what are we going to do with this one? And so there were, there's been things spoken over us. And this is part of your homework last week. I, I told you to go home and write down the things that have been spoken over you that you at least, either you know them or you perceive these things have been declared over you in your upbringing, in your pre-conversion life, recognizing that those negative words have had a power to harm you. They've had a power to bring harm to you. And if you have not issued a divorce to the spiritual power attached to that, if you have not brought those things to the cross and said, I'm under no obligation to live under those words, if you haven't confronted the power attached to those things, then chances are really high, really huge, they're still affecting you today. Now, the Bible says curses go back to the fourth generation. So, this is uh, Exodus chapter 20. So, we, we, uh, we don't know. It could be that, that somebody three or four generations ago said, this is the way it's going to go with our, with our grandkids. And this is the way. And, or they might have... There could be things that were set in motion. And I'm talking specifically today about word curses. The power of words. There could be, there could be things that were set in motion. We don't fit. We don't belong. We're kind of an oddball family. Well, we're, our family's kind of at the bottom of the barrel. There could be some things that were declared two or three generations ago over your family, and you're still living in the shadow, the effect of some of that today, and you will until you break that, until you say no more. the power of our words. I was thinking, you know, this is part of the, you know, part of the gift, uh, the gift literally uh, of the gift of discernment is that we would discern 
that we would discern what is, what's kind of harming us. What's harming us? The word iniquity is, uh, the word iniquity means to pervert. And pervert, uh, a lot of times we attach that to something sexual in our culture, but the word pervert doesn't mean something sexual. Uh, The word pervert means to twist, to distort, to bend. The word pervert means to, to, to take the original intent, the original shape, and to twist or to distort the original. And, and there, there could be some things in our lives today that it just feels like that there's something just kind of pulling us out of who we're meant to be, kind of pulling us out of... We, we aren't quite expressing what's in our heart and, and what, what God has for us and the dreams within. So that could be re- related to this realm. But I was also moved uh, last week, and, and, and again today I want to go into this, uh, that we would be free, that we would be free from a negative tongue. That even to, uh, starting last week, I, I pray from last week that this church would literally experience a wash-your-mouth-out-with-soap experience. Did your mama ever say that? Did, your, did you, your, your mama ever say that? Mama at our house used to wash the mouth out. Was Come here, come here, honey. Come over here. Get over here to the sink. Shh, shh. We got liquid soap now. Get your tongue out. Stick your tongue out. Get your tongue over here right now. Stick it out. There. How's that feel? You wash your mouth out right now. You will not talk that way. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you would wash our mouth, that you would wash our mouth, that you would wash our mouth, that there would be a washing, that there would be a shift, that we would learn to love, that we would yield to love, that we would yield to the fruit of the Spirit, that we would say yes to to our Father's character, that we would say yes to our Father's heart, that we would say yes to the way Father desires for us to reflect His kindness and His glory. Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read a bunch of James this morning. James will beat us up really good and help us. Is that right? James chapter 1. I'm going to start in James chapter 1. Uh, a lot of James chapter 1 is about the tongue. And so we'll start here at uh, verse 19, and uh, you can follow along with me. We're going to let the Word preach a little bit this morning. This you know, beloved brethren, uh, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your souls." Prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not nearly merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, 
this man will be blessed in what he does. I want to say that I think this realm is robbing our blessings. Because I think with our tongue, we're creating debt relationships all the time. And if people knew how we talked, we would owe them an apology. And Luke 17 says, be sure of this, offenses will come. But woe unto him who brings the offense. Why would Jesus say woe unto him? Because it's not for us to walk in that realm. We are not to be offensive even in our private room, even in the privacy of no one listening because the Holy Spirit's listening. And he can't bless, he can't bless you like he wants to bless you when you're engaged in what is now what he's called witchcraft. The cursing, the harming, the judging, the inappropriate negative speech about and over others. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, everybody say bridle. Boy, that sounds, that sounds like taking it to the cross right there. Oh, I'd like to... Oh, I... Well, I think they... I've been thinking about them... What? What are you going to say? Nothing. What did you just do? You just did something really smart. You just put a bridle on your tongue. You just took your tongue to the cross right there. That was the smartest thing you've done all day. Allow the Holy Spirit to interrupt you mid-sentence. And if you can't think of something good to say, say nothing at all. Even a fool's thought wise if he shuts his big mouth. Come on, this is the Bible. This is the Bible. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart, and this man's religion is worthless. Let's jump down to James chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Maybe this is what's wrong with some of the bridling on our body is we're not bridling our tongue well. Because we're going to learn in a minute your body is following your tongue. Now, if we put bits into horses' mouths so they will obey us, we direct their body as well. If you can put a bit in your mouth, you can bring everything else into subjection. All those other carnal things, all those other physical and all that other stuff going on in the rest of your bodily expression, guess what? It's about to be changed because you're going to bridle your tongue. If you can bridle your tongue, the rest of your body will come into alignment, agreement, and submission. But if you can't bridle your tongue, woe unto you. Look at the ships also. Though they are great and driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and it is set on fire itself by hell.
He's, by the way, he's talking to Christians. This is not written to sinners. He's reproving believers so that they will receive the word engrafted to save their souls. Every species of beasts and birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. You know why? You can't tame the tongue either. It's impossible to tame the tongue. But you can kill it. You can crucify it. You can bring the tongue to the cross. And it's not just negative speech that we're, or caustic speech or judgmental speech or the cursing of others that, that, that we can partake of in the crucifixion, in the death, in the bringing of the tongue to the cross. But it's also uh, all that fear talk, all that poverty talk, all that discouragement talk, all that depression talk. Come on. All that other negative stuff that's just kind of flowing up out of your tongue that ought to be just, everybody say bridle. Wow. No one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the likeness of God. For the same, from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out the same... Uh, opening, both fresh and bitter water can a fig tree, my brother, and produce olives or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh. Who, was, who, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior, by his deeds, by the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. It's earthy, natural, and demonic. And where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed, that's your word, everybody say words, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, to, to beat this up even more, labor it more, uh, uh, I want to read it out of the Passion Translation. Is that all right? Is this okay? Uh, right before I read this out of the Passion Translation, uh, I want to remind you about the poo and the brownies. Yeah, two teenagers asked their father if they could go to the theater to watch a movie that all their friends had seen. After reviewing, uh, 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 reading some reviews about the movie on the internet, the father said no, and he denied their request. Oh, Dad, why not? They complained. It's rated PG, and we're both older than 13, Dad. You're so old and fuddy-duddy. But Dad replied that movie contains a little bit of nudity and portrays some immorality, and it's got some swear words in it and just a bunch of stuff that God doesn't want you to be seeing, and it isn't appropriate for your life as a new creation. He doesn't want you thinking it's normal and acceptable behavior. But, Dad, those are just really small parts of the movie. Uh, that's what our friends told us anyway. They've seen it, and they told us the movie's like two hours long, and those scenes are just a few minutes in the total film. It's based on a true story, Dad, and good eventually triumphs over evil in this movie. And besides, there's other redeeming themes to this movie like courage and self-sacrifice. Even some Christian movie reviewers said that. 
My answer is no, said Dad. That's my final answer. You're welcome to stay home tonight, invite some of your friends over, watch one of the good videos we have in the home collection, have some popcorn, that's the end of the discussion. The two teenagers walked dejectedly into the family room and slumped onto the couch. As they sulked, they were surprised to hear the sounds of Dad preparing food in the kitchen. What in the world's up? They soon recognized the wonderful aroma of brownies baking in the oven, and one of the teenagers said to the other one, Dad must be feeling guilty. What in the world? He's going to try to make up to us with some fresh brownies we can enjoy with our popcorn while we watch one of these stupid home videos. Maybe we can soften him with a lot of praise when he brings those things out. You know, we know how to sweet talk Dad. We'll persuade him to let us go to that movie after all. We got enough time to get there. The teens were not disappointed. Soon their father appeared with a plate of warm brownies, which he offered to the kids. They each took one. Then their dad said, just as they were putting it up to their lips, uh, uh, before you eat those, I, I want to tell you something. I, I love you both very much. Some teenagers smiled at each other, holding their brownies, trying to figure out what in the world. They thought, surely would love talk like that. Dad is surely softening. I've actually made, this is what Dad, uh, these ingredients, these brownies with the best ingredients. I ran into the kitchen, felt like I needed to whip these up. I made them from scratch. Even, some, of the, uh, some of the ingredients are even organic. I used organic flour. I, I used the best free-range eggs that mom had in the fridge. I used nothing but virgin olive oil and the best organic sugar that we could possibly find, premium vanilla, and I tapped into mom's premium chocolate. I mean, these things, I really, I busted the bank to make these things, and they did look good to the boys. They looked mouth-watering, and the kids were getting a little impatient with dad's speech. But I want to be perfectly honest with you, Dad went on. He said, there's one ingredient I added that's usually not found in brownies. I, I got that ingredient quickly from the backyard. Now, you needn't worry because I, I only added the tiniest bit of that ingredient to your brownies. The, the amount of the portion is practically insignificant. It's, it's so small. So go ahead and take a bite and let me know what you think. Dad, would you mind telling us what that ingredient is? It's, the boys kind of piped up. Why? Why should I tell you? I I told you the portion is so small, it's practically insignificant. It's probably like just a teaspoon, and you won't even taste it. Oh, come on, Dad, just tell us what the the ingredient is. Don't worry, I told you it's organic like all the other ingredients. (laughs) Dad, come on, Dad. Uh, All right, all right, all right. If you insist, uh, the secret ingredient is dog poop. Yeah, you get the story from there, and you know where the rest of it went, and you can guess from that moment on they didn't, uh, they didn't eat the brownies. But, but I, 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 want, I, I believe the Holy Spirit is, is provoking us to be a set-apart people. And He's provoking us to be a people that, that don't even allow a teaspoon of dog poop in our language, in our voice, in the way we talk, the way we communicate. He, he's calling us to a set-apart way of talking because we don't need to rely. Besides, we, we don't need to prosper, increase, be justified, set apart, or determine our future by using witchcraft in any way whatsoever 
or negative speech or curses in any way to assure ourselves of a place in life of increase or blessing or help or prosperity or friends or any such thing. We don't need to bring harm to any other soul to have God help us so we can separate ourselves. We can divorce ourselves from every form of witchcraft from this moment on. You okay with that? I want the band to come. I want to read this out of the Passion. My dear brothers and sisters, don't be so eager to become a teacher in the church since you know that we who teach are held to a higher standard of judgment. We all fail in many ways, but especially in our words. Yet if you're able to bridle the words... Yet, yet, if we're able to bridle the words we say, we are powerful enough to control our, ourselves in every way. And that means our character is mature and fully developed. Horses have bits and bridles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large body. And the same with mighty ships, though they're massive and driven by strong winds, yet they're steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. And so the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it carries great power. Just think of how a small flame can set a huge forest ablaze. And the tongue is a fire. It can be compared to the sum total of wickedness and the most dangerous part of our human body. It corrupts the entire body. It's a hellish flame. It releases a fire that can burn throughout the course of human existence. For every wild animal on earth, including birds, creeping reptiles, creatures, and sea, land, have all been overpowered and tamed by humans, but the tongue is not able to be tamed. It's a fickled, unrestrained evil that spews out words of toxic poison. We use our tongue to praise God our Father and then turn around and curse a person who was made in His very image. Out of the same mouth we pour out words of praise in one minute and curses the next. My brothers and sisters, this should never be. Would you look for olives hanging on a fig tree or would you go pick grapes figs from a grapevine? Is it possible that fresh and bitter water can flow out of the same spring? So neither can a spring producing so neither can a spr- bitter spring produce fresh water. By the way, what I think he's saying right there is that um, this harms people looking for fruit on your tree. Because if they if they're hearing one thing come out, crab apples come out of your tree, but they need figs or olives, if you consider yourself to be wise and one who understands the ways of God, advertise it with a beautiful, fruitful life, guided by wisdom's gentleness. Never brag or boast about what you've done, and you'll prove you're truly wise. But if there is bitter jealousy or competition hiding in your heart, then don't deny it and try to compensate for it by boasting and being phony. For that has nothing to do with God's heavenly wisdom, but can be best described as the wisdom of this world, both selfish and devilish. So wherever jealousy and selfishness are uncovered, you will also find many other troubles and every kind of meanness. But the wisdom from above is always pure, filled with peace, considerate, teachable, filled with love, It never displays prejudice or hypocrisy in any form. It always bears the beautiful harvest of righteousness. Good seeds of wisdom's fruit will be planted 
with peaceful acts by those who cherish making peace. Let's stand this morning.